From time to time, during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. Hello, welcome back to How Did We Miss That? I'm Christine. And I'm John. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. Hmm. It wasn't quite that bad. I just like to give a little dramatic pause there. I like it. For the big introduction, you know? All right. Well, we are in the midst of celebrating all these winter holidays. Yeah, I hope everyone had a great Christmas. Yes, me too. But I thought I'd ruin it a little bit with some fun Christmas murders. What a Scrooge. I know, right? technically Christmas is over. We're getting ready for 2021 and everyone thinks it's going to be poof. Everything's back to normal New Year and I sure hope so. I don't think everybody thinks that. Some people do. Some people do. You're going to bring us all down from a cloud we're floating on. We're going to bring you down. Are you ready to be brought down? murder. With some stories? Bring it down, baby. All right. So like I did on the Thanksgiving holiday... I've decided I'm going to do like a mash of a bunch of different ones. Okay. So I've got some good stories for you today. But these are ones that I haven't really heard of before. I mean, we've all heard the John Bonnet Ramsey when she was found Christmas Day. We've all heard that story, right? I'm going to say yes for the sake of the show, but I did not know she was found Christmas Day. Oh, but you know her story. It was yeah, Christmas yeah. Day. I know the story, yes. But you know her story. So yes, <laughs> yeah. it was Christmas Day. Okay. So I'm not going to do that one, but I've got some other ones here. And one of them is actually really interesting. I think you're going to enjoy. But I'm going to start off with one that is called the Covina Christmas Massacre, or a.k.a. the Santa Gunman. Oh, I like that. That's got a good that ring sound to it. Good? Sounds like a like a superhero Christmas movie or something. Yeah. Is this um, Covina, California? It is. Okay, I know that area very well. Right. So for those of you that don't know, Covina is a city that's like a suburb of Los Angeles. So it's kind of close to Los Angeles. But on December 24th, 2008, at approximately 11.30 p.m., Bruce Jeffrey Pardo, dressed in a Santa Claus suit, knocked on the door of his former in-law's house, where they were having a Christmas party with about 25 people. With a gift-wrapped package in one hand and a semi-automatic handgun in the other. Merry Christmas. You know what? I'm such a buzzkill for this show. Okay. I think I remember this. As you do keep you? T- I do. I, I, I carry on, but I think this is starting to sound familiar to me. Well, that's okay if you remember it. I, I mean... Yeah, no, no. I just... I, I'm I, sure there are some we've done that people are like, yeah, I already know about that one. Yeah, but, duh. <laughs> but but what I feel is that this is something that hasn't been covered by... Yeah. Millions. I'm like with you. I hear John you. Ramsey. Yeah, I hear you. So he also had three additional semi-automatic handguns in his possession as well. When the door opened, Pardo fired the handgun at an eight-year-old girl as she ran to greet him and he injured her in the face. He then began, began firing at all the fleeing partygoers. So there's people running crazy. And as they're doing that, he's just standing there picking them off. No, t- well, are you going to, you'll probably talk about this, but any targeted people or just random, randomized shooting? I mean, he, he targeted this family, but okay. he's yeah, just but... shooting people as they're running away. Right. 
I told you we had the three extra handguns. He was mm-hmm. just using those to like yeah, pick the a, people off as they're trying yep. to get out of there. After the shootings, Pardo unwrapped the package, which contained a homemade flamethrower. Oh, boy. And used it to spray racing fuel. Oh. So that he could set the home on fire. So we know that smell well. Yeah, it smells so good. It's wonderful. Yeah, it but I think in this case, it probably did not smell as great as it normally does. Yeah, it smells good because you're at the races and it's welcomed. If you're right. being sprayed at a holiday party to be burned to your death, yeah, not it probably so smells great. bad. Yeah. Nine people died from either gunfire or flames and three others were wounded. The eight-year-old girl who was shot in the face had severe but non-life-threatening injuries, thank goodness. A 16-year-old girl was shot and wounded in the back and a 20-year-old woman suffered a broken ankle jumping out of the second floor window. There was one survivor who called the authorities during the attack after escaping to a neighbor's house. The fire took 80 firefighters and an hour and a half to get out. Holy cow, that seems like a lot. Yeah, that's How a lot. How big was this house? Oh, I don't know. Jeez. But I mean, I'm thinking flamethrower full of gas probably yeah. will set a pretty And that stuff burns hot. hot too. Yeah, fire. Well, did he use the flamethrower? Just Well, you, you don't know this. I'm not going to ask. Never mind. Okay. I'm just wondering if he used it just to dispense the gas or to also light it on fire. Oh, I think probably both. Yeah. It I want to know how to make a homemade flamethrower. Unwrap it pretty in a package for Christmas. Yeah, that right? sounds badass. Due to the intensity of the fire, identification of the victims had to be done with dental and medical records. Oh. Yikes. Well, like I guess they often do in a fire yeah. death. Yeah. But that's I guess this left. one was so bad that it like just burned everything. Get much like 9-11, when you burn the right kind of fuel, it just burns extra hot. It's more so right. than just your regular house fire. Exactly. After the attack, Pardo put on his street clothes and drove his Dodge Caliber rental car to his brother's house in Silmar. And that's about 30 miles away from the crime scene where he was later found dead from self-inflicted gunshot wounds. Hmm. His brother was not present at the time of Pardo's death. Um, Later, it was discovered that he had purchased a plane ticket for a flight from Los Angeles to Moline, Illinois. Hmm. And I'm wondering, like, okay. But it turns out he actually had a friend there from college that Ah, he had visited before he told his high school friend that he was going to go and visit, but the investigators weren't sure if that was just to throw them off the scent um, or if he actually had intended to go and visit this person. Police also found $17,000 in, cla- in clash. Sorry, because the next word's cling. Every time. Every time. This is your signature thing. So you, I know. I'm, I'm terrible. Starting to, I just get so excited about this that I just I'm starting to think you're doing it on purpose just I'm because not. it's your signature thing. Like, hey, sorry, I'm an educator. And an English teacher, but I don't speak well. Yeah, That's like your, your the, like the sticky band. I feel like I do speak well. I just get excited. Of course excited. you do. That's why I'm making a joke here. I get excited and I trip over my words. Yeah. Just anyway, relax, so the, the, I'm relaxed. <laughs> the cash was cling wrapped to his legs yes. and inside of a girdle. Okay. So he just like. Like you do. Wrapped himself in cash, which I don't know, sounds kind of fun, but. Yeah. In the right circumstance, not if yeah. you're running from the law. And his rental car had been parked a block from his brother's house, which had been rigged to explode using parts of his Santa suit. Wow. Yes. They also recovered four 13 round capacity handguns that were each empty and at least 200 rounds of ammunition, suggesting that what had been inside of his car was being treated as a threat. A bomb squad fired a small explosive into it to destroy it. Police think that the motive for the attack was related to the marital problems that he was having with his wife. Her name was Sylvia. Hmm. 
Pardo's wife of one year had just filed for divorce the week before, but Pardo did not have a criminal record or a history of violence. He had been fired from his job as an electrical engineer in July for billing false hours. So that'll do it, I think. Yeah. There is some speculation that divorce may have been caused by Pardo concealing a child from a previous relationship. Like, how do you hide a child? But I guess that's possible. Yeah, it can be done if you're a liar. I mean, and you don't ever see the kid. Yeah, Yeah, I guess that's true. I didn't think about it that way. The couple had married in January of 2006, but their marriage quickly went sour because he refused to open a joint account with her. And he expected that she would take care of her children from a previous marriage with her own money. Yeah. He wasn't going to take care of her kids. You're looking at me like that's wrong. (sighs) Come on. (laughs) I joke. I joke. Uh, Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) In June of 2008, divorce court had ordered Bruce Pardo to pay $1,700 a month in spousal support. After he was fired in July, though, the court suspended the payments due to job hardship. Mm. That's nice. Yeah. It was revealed that he had planned to kill his own mother after the massacre because she seemed to side with his ex-wife. Pardo had been required to pay Sylvia $10,000 as part of the divorce settlement, according to the court documents. Sylvia kept the wedding ring and the family dog. So if I'm leaving you, I'm taking the dog, too. Sorry. That's okay. Your mom's going to side with me. That's true. She probably would. (laughs) Go right ahead. You can have the dog. I can have the dog. In a court declaration, Pardo complained that Sylvia was living with her parents, not paying rent, and had spent lavishly on a luxury car, gambling trips to Las Vegas, meals at fine restaurants, massages, and golf lessons. Like you do. Like you do. At least three victims' deaths were caused by gunshot wounds alone, while four others died from a combination of both gunshot wounds and fire. Two other deaths stemmed from the fire alone. So you want to hear the victims? Are you ready for this? Yeah, I just, I'm confused. Just, sure. Uh, you don't know the answer. This is more about commentary. Okay. Why not just get out from the fire? Like if you're not, I, the wounded people I get, they're kind of stuck. They probably couldn't get out. And so that's why they die from the gunshot and the fire. But those two, why not just get out? Could they, were they tied up? Were they trapped? I wonder, that's interesting to me that yeah. they died from the fire alone. You know, I like, I if someone's spraying gasoline and fire for I'm getting the fuck out. So yeah. Maybe it, well, I, that's what I'm saying though. Maybe it like exploded on them and they just couldn't get out in time. Yeah. Or I maybe they were trapped in a room where they couldn't get out. Yeah, I get it. Because right. they were hiding from the gunshots. All right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So um Sylvia Ortega Pardo, which was his wife, she was forty three years old. Alicia Ortega was seventy years old. She is Sylvia's mother. Joseph Ortega was eighty years old, and that's Sylvia's father, so his father in law. Charles Ortega was 49, Sylvia's brother. Sherry Ortega was 45, and that was Charles Ortega's wife. James Ortega was 51, and that was also Sylvia's brother. Therese Ortega, 52, and that was James Ortega's wife. Alicia Ortega Ortiz, that's her sister. And Michael Ortiz was 17, and that was um, the sister's son, so her nephew, Sylvia's nephew. Bruce Pardo. That does sound very familiar to me. I don't know if I, mean, I remember Covina, all the details, so. but yeah, I think I remember the 2008. this story a little bit. Yeah. Crazy, man. So this next story that I have for you kind of has an interesting um, connection to you and I. <laughs> okay. So do you That's remember? Alarming. No, it's not like that. 
Do you remember on my birthday when we took our Hollywood tour? I do. I remember that very well. Of that all was the fun. murder spots in yeah. Hollywood, because you know I'm, I'm a bit me. of a weirdo. I and <laughs> yes, you are you, and you were so excited to do that. It was fun though. I mean, it was fun. I planned out all these like places to go. Right? Yeah. As much as I hate California, I do love old school Hollywood, and that's kind of where we went. It was fun. It was really fun. We went yeah. into the hills. We saw the site of the Charles Manson murders and we saw where the Black Dahlia was found. That one that was up on a hill where like the people were moving stuff out, that one was creepy. So that's what I'm going to talk about oh, today. Good, good. I didn't even know. The Los Feliz Murder Mansion. Yes, that's the one. Yes. We had to go up like that windy hill and very yep. narrow road. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was creepy. Creepsville. Right. Well, I'm going to tell you the story about that house right now. Okay, so Dr. Harold Pearlson and his wife Lillian lived in a beautiful mansion in the hills of Griffith Park at 2475 Glendower Place in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Doesn't that sound like a lovely, like, fairy tale beginning? They lived there with their three children, Judy, Debbie, and Joel. The mansion had 12 rooms and it's 5,000 square feet. So it's not a tiny little place. Yeah, just a little starter home. And it also actually included a glass conservatory, a ballroom with a bar, and even maids' living quarters. Mm. So this is a ritzy little, yeah. ritzy little home here. Yeah. The family lived lavishly with frequent shopping trips and fancy sports cars. But 1959 had been a tough year for the family. Harold was in poor health. They told all their family and friends that he had suffered coronaries. And I'm going to put that in quotes because you'll learn why in a little bit. Okay. But no one could have predicted what would come next. In the early morning hours of December 6th, at around 4.30 a.m., 50-year-old Harold stood over his sleeping wife. With a ball-peen hammer, he struck her in the back of her head, rendering her unconscious before she could wake or scream. Mm. That sounds rough. Yeah. I have a phobia with head trauma and throat slits. Mm. Yeah, I don't like, like throat slits very I much When I see either. those on TV, I get like, not squeamish like I'm going to throw up, but like I I have a genuine fear of getting hit in the head by something hard or having my throat slit. So I get like, yeah, so I, I just don't like it. It triggers. Maybe I don't want to know, but I do want to know if when you slit someone's throat, is that really how it is? Like how they show it in movies and in television? I'm going to go with Does no. Does it like really open like a little slit and then like gushes out? Like I. So the skin's pretty taut there. I would yeah. think so it would open, but like the blood they show spewing is like a jugular cut and that's on the side. Right. So, so I think that's a little fake when we see it. I don't think it's that way. Right. So that's what I'm kind of wondering because I don't find it as scary because to me it's almost like a Halloween slasher movie where it's like so fake and so much blood. Yeah. Just starts that squirting it almost everywhere. doesn't yeah. seem real to me. So it doesn't quite scare me. I don't know. It, it doesn't scare me, but like that, that one scene in The Walking Dead, if you recall- when they're at Terminus and they're bent over the trough. Oh, yeah. And first you get the baseball bat to the head, then mm. the throat slit. That's my nightmare. Yeah, it's pretty, <laughs> I was, pretty gross. Did not like that part. Well, anyway, so Harold hits his wife in the back of the head with this ball peen hammer, Ugh. which I had to look up. Oh, you should have asked me. I would have asked you, but you were busy doing something. I okay, don't remember pro- why. I was probably so using a hammer downstairs. If I'm correct, it's like a hammer on the front and like a rounded edge in the back. Yes. With quick, like a point. Quick tool time. The, okay, the hammer do. that you pull the nails out is called a claw hammer. Yes. The other one, yeah. And I'm not really sure what they're used for, that little pointy end. It looks yeah. like a penis head almost. Oh, okay. The other end is like a normal hammer, where you, but I don't know what the ball peen part is for. Interesting. No idea. Yeah. So anyway, 
for those of you that didn't know what it was, like me. Yeah. Claw hammer, much more useful. Buy one of those. It probably would have done a little bit more damage in this case, too, I would think. Oh, yeah. It split you open. Well, anyway, so Harold then walked down the hall to Judy's room. The 18-year-old oldest child was sound asleep. Harold brought the hammer down on Judy's head. But his aim was off, and the blow did not knock her unconscious, but it did fracture her skull. So she's awake. Wow. I didn't think you could have one without the other. He just must not have hit her hard enough or hit her to the side or something. Judy woke up and started screaming. She screamed so loud that the neighbors could hear her pleading, don't kill me. So that's a bit uh, startling. Yeah, it is because I'm trying to recall the setting and there were neighbors near, but not that close. Yeah, they're not super, super close, I Although, would say. that house was like up on a perch. So I guess it could have, you know, echoed or dispersed out. I guess. Right. I, I mean, you can see the neighbors. They're not far enough that you can't see yeah, them. Yeah, we were like parked you, in front of could, one. If you were standing in your backyard yelling, they'd be able to hear you. Yeah. And it's quiet up there. Well, anyway, Judy's yells woke up her siblings as well, Okay, which was not, I think, his plan, but it's what's happening now. Yeah. So Harold tried to shush Judy and he told her to lay still and be quiet. So like, yeah, sure, dad, I'll do that after you just hit me in the head with a hammer. But Judy ran to her mother for help and her brother and sister came into the room to figure out what's going on. An 11-year-old Debbie saw her father there covered in blood. He told her to go back to sleep that she was having a nightmare. Yeah. Okay. During all the commotion, Judy had discovered her mother's dead body in her parents' bed, and then she decided to race out of the house. She went to a neighbor's house next door. She pounded on the front door and the windows, pleading for help. Her neighbor, Marshall Ross, finally answered the door, and he found Judy there frantic. Her head was gushing with blood. He called the police, and then he went to the Pearlson home to investigate what was going on. Marshall found the two younger children, Debbie and 13-year-old Joel, Huddled together on the first floor. They were terrified, but they weren't hurt, which is good. He didn't get a chance to hurt them. Marshall then climbed the steps to the second floor, and he came face to face with a bloodied and eerily calm Harold. So he's like covered in blood, but he's okay. Yeah. He's, he's pretty calm. Dripping blood, the doctor told Harold, or sorry, he didn't tell himself. He told Marshall. Yeah. Uh, the next door neighbor to leave and go home and to not bother him. But okay. Yeah. I love how he's like giving all these commands to people that are obviously not going to happen. Right. Well, he's got a hammer. So. Right. Turning, Harold walked to the bathroom, searching his cabinets and drawers. Marshall watched in shock as Harold opened two capsules of Nembutal. Never heard of it. Well, I'm going to tell you about it in just a minute. And he mixed the contents with water. So, uh, like I said, I had to look up Nembutal. And I found that it's also known as, and I'm probably going to butcher this completely, pentobarbital. Oh, yeah, I know what I know okay. what barbitol is. It has a powerful barbiturate and a sedative. Yeah. Apparently, it's, I guess, easy to overdose on, from what I could tell. Okay. That, like, there's not, like, an exact science to how much you use, and so it's easy to completely overdose on it. And, oddly enough, it's responsible for the deaths of Marilyn Monroe and Judy Garland. Oh, really? hmm Wow. And among other people, apparently. It's like the old-timey fentanyl. Yeah. It's also been used to carry out the death penalty in the U.S., this stuff was Neb- yeah. nebutal right yeah because i had heard of the other thing you said and that's what i was thinking was well that's another name for it yeah that, that's where i've heard that before okay yeah. yeah okay so anyway harold decided to drink this concoction that he made and to ensure his death he added 31 other pills to the oh my god the mix <laughs> he then walked into his bedroom and lay down by his wife's corpse still holding the gore-covered hammer probably put that down Harold 
It was around 5.15 when the police finally arrived. Harold was barely alive and he would be dead before the ambulance came. An autopsy of Lillian showed that the blow itself didn't kill her. Oh, see, so that's my fear with the head trauma. She actually drowned in her own blood. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Slowly. The head trauma thing is like you're either going to do that or you're going to like just sit there and tweak out until your brain finally kills itself. That's the part that's worse to me than the head. I know. The hit, you know? Absolutely. So investigators looked into the family. They found they actually were hiding some dangerous secrets. 1959 had been a trying time for the, you know, they're affluent, but apparently they weren't. Mm -hmm. So be careful who you think is uh, doing okay, because maybe they're not. I think a lot of people that we perceive to be affluent are really not. They're faking it. Right. Well, this family was deeply in debt. It turned out that Dr. Pearlson had invented a new type of syringe for injections. He thought it would be a success. He put all the family's money into it, and then his partner took it. Hmm. Yeah. I, I was today years old when I found out that there's syringe technology. Well, yeah. I mean, there's different. How do you make one better? It kind of just has the push thing right, and right. a needle. You well, know? maybe that was it. Maybe. Maybe yeah. that's what we're, we're dealing with now. Salient point. But anyway, so his his partner like took the patent away from him, basically. So he didn't have any rights to it anymore. Yeah. And he tried to sue, but he was only able to recover like a little bit of what he had put into it. And it was nowhere near enough to cover the resulting like legal bills that were just massive his three children had also been in an automobile accident two years prior and that left them with even more medical bills that he couldn't pay so they're just like sinking here yeah that sounds like a rough time enormous house i'm sure is not cheap so what year was this again 2020 1959 2020 i was joking oh 2020 is happening to everyone it's a bad time i know it's not a good time yeah so because of all this, Harold's moods had darkened, he was depressed, he was defeated, and he no longer took any interest in his work or inventing. So because of that, we're not getting any income now. And even worse, the stress of the debt, perceived failures and family problems were eroding Harold's mental health. So remember those coronaries that I mentioned before? Yes. They were telling everybody this is why he's having coronaries, he's in poor health. Well, they were actually suicide attempts. What is a coronary anyway? I've heard that like, like small don't have heart a coronary. Attack? That's what I thought. I thought. Okay. Maybe it's not like a severe heart attack, but I don't know. I'm not sure. I thought that was what a heart attack was. It was a coronary. Yeah. And I thought because it's used in that term, like I said, like, don't have a coronary, like don't freak out and make your heart explode. I thought a coronary was like, you can't have several. You have one and you die. Well, you can have small heart attacks, you know. No, I know. I just, I thought the coronary was the big one. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, anyway, so Lillian had finally decided to have her husband committed to a psychiatric hospital for treatment. It's believed that this was the reason for the attack that morning. It's not clear what happened to the children after that night. Judy was treated for her injuries, and it seems like Lillian's family took the younger children. Understandably, none of them ever made any public statements or granted any interviews about the events. So we only have little bits and pieces of kind of what happened. Well, you would think this would be the end of the story, right? No. Not on this show. Mm -mm. It never is. Within a year, the mansion at 2475 Glendower Place was sold, furnishings and all. At auction and the legend of the murder house was born. Emily and Julian Enriquez bought the home after, oh, sorry, I already said after a year. After a year. Yeah, after a year. For $2 million in 1960, but they never moved in. In fact, no one would live in the house again. Ever, even when we looked at it. Well, so I'll get to that in one second. Yeah, because there was something going on that day. 
So nobody would ever live in the house. They didn't even remove the Pearlson's belongings. They left it all in there. Oh, creepy. All the furniture. Yeah. Everything's still in there. They actually, there are some indication that the Enriquez family used it as storage. There were some things like that didn't, like, for example, there was a picture of a SpaghettiOs box mm-hmm. and that didn't come into being until 1965. So clearly the Pearlsons didn't have it. Yeah. So the Enriquez family must have just been using it as storage at that point. So it remained frozen in the night of December 6th of 1959. Curious people came to the property to look through the windows at the home, still exactly as it was that night. Christmas presents, tree and all. I remember that from our tour. Didn't we see that through the window or were we seeing things? No, we didn't get a chance to see through the window, but I'm going to get to that in just one second. Okay, good. I okay, so, I, rem- I remember. Yes, go ahead. So it sat that way until it was cleared out in 2015. And that's when we went. So, yeah. So yeah. remember we saw the big dumpsters full of stuff. Yeah. And didn't we see a tree? They were, I think we did. Yeah. Like they were clearing out all that stuff, yeah. right? <laughs> Creepy, man. So anyway, yeah. um, and a family actually had bought it and they gutted it, but they never moved in. So this is like leading people to think like, okay, this is like a haunted. Yeah. Obviously people don't want to live there. Right. So it was on the market again in 2019 for three and a half million dollars. And I haven't been able to, I looked it up a little bit. I didn't spend too much time on it, but I haven't been able to find that it was bought or by who or anything. So that was the last. That's crazy. It was up for sale in 2019 for three and a half million dollars. I mean, it's cheap enough for a teardown, so, technically. But that's in interesting to me because in 1960, when the first family bought it, they bought it for $2 million. That's a shit ton of money in 1960. Well, still, right. That's a shit ton of money in 1960, but it's not a shit ton of money in 2019. No. So. Well, that's what I'm saying. I've yeah. seen I've seen posts around the internet that in, that's seriously like a teardown price. Right. So and why that's not, what that why, one family did was they gutted it completely. Yeah, they'll do like in a remodel, but they changed their they mind. They were going to huh? do a remodel, and they never moved in. That's what I'm saying. Pay the three million, tear it down, and use the land. That's Ugh, good land. I don't even know about I that. I wouldn't do it. No. I'm saying someone else who's braver than me. So much. Nope. Yeah. Nope. 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 That was such a trip. I'd rather when we live saw next that to a graveyard. That that's it's the one creepy, house right? that gave me kind of the squirrelies a little bit. Yeah, it's it's pretty creepy. And it was seeing that dumpster full of stuff, and you're sitting there telling me. About mm-hmm. the tree, and I was like, Ooh. "Yeah." <laughs> I felt so it. I'll make sure to post. They have um, the Enriquez family actually let a photographer in to take pictures, so they actually have pictures of the Pearlson's things, including the presents. <laughs> wow, crazy! Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah. One curious thing I found out though that I'd love to take a deeper dive into. Apparently, the Pearlsons were Jewish. So why was there a tree in presents? Hmm. Isn't that weird? That does sound like a, you know, stereotypical Jewish kind of name to me. Right. But what I'm saying, I'm, I'm wondering if it's more like, a, um, like in that time period, you didn't want to be different. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. maybe they just were celebrating Christmas because that's what everybody did. I don't know. Blended family, maybe? That would be very interesting to find out. I don't Christmas-ka? know. I don't know. Christmas Hanukkah? Yeah. That, All is, right. that is, we should look into that. Yeah. So I've got one last story for you. This is the murder of Michelle O'Dowd. She was a 67-year-old Florida woman who was found beaten, strangled, and hidden beneath the Christmas presents in her home. Isn't that lovely? Merry yeah, Christmas. Yeah, this is really a t- full of cheer tonight. Isn't it? So cheerful. <laughs> Merry and bright. Merry and bright. The body of Michelle O'Dowd was discovered by her twin brother, Phil Axt, 
who had gone to check on her at her home in a gated community after O'Dowd failed to show up for work. That seems to be the the whole Every time somebody like doesn't show up for work, we find out they're murdered. Well, that's like the one constant thing in your life. Yeah, that's is, true, I guess. It's a schedule. Death and taxes, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a schedule that you keep no matter what. And so when someone yeah, doesn't show true. up, it's very strange. Yeah. So the door was open and O'Dowd's house had been ransacked, but her car and her dog were still at home. Looking around the home, Axe could see a foot was sticking out of a big pile of Christmas gifts buried under the gifts was his sister's cold body, her bloody face covered with a towel. Like, why would you leave her under the tree? <laughs> Can you, you couldn't have put her on the couch or in the backyard. You know, this is episode 11, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just answer this right now, once and for all. Right. These people have mental illness. Right. That's why. Absolutely. <laughs> Looking around the home, he saw that, obviously, it was broken into, but, like, not. What am I trying to say? It was clear that it was somebody she knew. Yeah, not forcibly broken. Right. Yeah, I got you. Thank it wasn't you. That's destroyed. the word I was looking for. Yeah. So no very signs quickly, of forcible entry. Thank you. Yeah. So very quickly, they had the suspect of Patricia White. So police said that White was an ex-girlfriend of the victim's nephew and was considered a family friend. They said White had returned to Florida to rob O'Dowd after staying with relatives in South Carolina. So whatever took place in that apartment went horribly wrong and she ended up beating and killing O'Dowd. White then returned to South Carolina where she confessed to the authorities after she'd been pulled over. O'Dowd treated White as part of the family, giving her odd jobs to earn extra money even though she couldn't seem to get her life together. O'Dowd allowed White to stay at her home for a month for free, trusting her with her PIN number for her debit card so White could purchase groceries for the two of them. White later would use that debit card to withdraw $1,000 at two bank ATMs in Florida. Authorities took some clothes from White's family home in South Carolina to be examined and turned over to Florida Florida police, along with the car in which White and her mother were traveling when White was arrested. Friends and family describe O'Dowd as someone who was so sweet and would never hurt a fly. I feel like that's the... Like, if you're sweet or if you light up a room or... That's if the death sentence. You or are what? the person everybody wants to be around. Like, you're the one that's going to be killed. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, the worst part of the story is that so many people in the community said that they heard someone screaming and wailing and nobody called the police. Was this the same town from last week? The <sighs> right? 1300 person one that doesn't notice anything? I know. Right. So anyway, those are my Christmas killings. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Aren't you a bundle of joy? I know. Jeez. Isn't that lovely? Santa brought presents this year. So what do you have? Hopefully something good, something happy. Well, I do have something happy. Oh, good. I am here to tell you and all the people the the biggest myth conspiracy on the face of the planet oh i'm here to debunk it once and for all the loch ness monster no oh keep going keep keep guessing um unicorn sasquatch nope oh i am here to let the people know that santa claus is in fact real nice i love it all this talk about he's not real all this stuff bullshit okay we're gonna go through a brief history of the big guy Mm -hmm. but i'm here to tell you that he's real 100 percent. and i think the history of santa claus will tell you why okay i love this let's do it all right so santa claus otherwise known as oh first pause my sources are the history channel so you know it's legit 
Absolutely. Right? The history town history don't lie. No, it no. doesn't. Otherwise known as St. Nicholas or Chris Kringle, among other names, depending on where you are in the world, mm-hmm. right? Has a long history steeped in Christmas traditions. Today he is thought of mainly as the jolly man in red who brings toys to good girls and boys on Christmas Eve. Yes. But it wasn't always that way. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet now. Oh Lord. What is that the train? The train at Disneyland. The Disneyland train. My favorite ride, if you can call it that. His story stretches all the way back to the third century. That's a long time ago. Yeah, that's that's old. It is. When St. Nicholas walked the earth and became the patron saint of children. You can find out more about this on the historychannel.com or watch, you know, all kinds of... There's all kinds of information about Santa out there, believe it or not. And hopefully everyone a couple days ago tracked him through the skies on... NORAD. NORAD yes, wouldn't always. NORAD wouldn't track a fake being. They've had no, bigger course. fish to fry. Right. So I mean, that should be reason enough right there that this is the true the true thing. Right? Agreed. Legit. Absolutely. The legend of Saint Nicholas, the real Santa Claus. They're all real, but this is where the legend comes in. Can be traced back hundreds of years to a monk named Saint Nicholas. It is believed that Nicholas was born sometime around two eighty AD in Patara near Myra, which is would be modern-day Turkey. Yes, I did know that, actually. Yeah. Much admired for his piety and kindness, St. Nicholas became the subject of many legends. It is said that he gave away all of his inherited wealth and traveled the countryside helping the poor and the sick. One of the best-known St. Nicholas stories is the time he saved three poor sisters from being sold into slavery and or prostitution by their father by providing them with a dowry so that they could be married. Hmm. I don't know what any of that is. What's a dowry? You don't know a dowry. I, so a long time ago, <laughs> I mean, this is really disgusting, but basically you had to like convince someone to marry your daughter. And by doing that, you would say, oh, please marry her. You, she comes with two goats and a chicken. Oh, like we saw in um, Game of Thrones when the crusty old man's like, marry this one. Yeah. Yeah. So basically it was like a prize for marrying your daughter. And so whoever had the largest dowry, of course, would get the best husband, you would think. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to convince people nowadays, but it kind of works that way. Whoever has the biggest dowry gets the best things, right? The most wealth. And, I mean, I don't, I don't think know. so. Maybe, not. <laughs> Maybe I'm overthinking this a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> Over the course of many years, Nicholas's popularity spread and he became known as the protector of children and sailors. So he's the patron saint of children. That's weird. Children and sailors. Well, I think that's all there was back then. You're either a child or you're a sailor. <laughs> you grow up and become a sailor. What else do you do? I get it. <laughs> His feast day is on December 6th. You knew that as well? I did know that, yes. This was traditionally considered a lucky day to make large purchases or to get married. Oh, well, we got we married on close. December 8th. Very close. We should have thought that through. We should have. By the Renaissance, St. Nicholas was the most popular saint in Europe. Even after the Protestant Reformation, when the veneration of saints began to be discouraged, St. Nicholas maintained a positive reputation, especially in Holland. How could you not, being so jolly and kind? I think all the saints did good things, but some of them, right. some, I mean, some of their good things did, were right. overthrowing murderers and killing people. And right. All for good reasons. But this guy, his, you know, how do you hate St. Nicholas? He took care of people, he saved people, and he was really good to the sailors. Really good to those sailors. I'm waiting for like the patron saint of fruitcake and socks. 
Because those go together. So another part of the Santa Claus lore, Sinterklaas comes to New York. St. Nicholas made his first inroads into American pop culture towards the end of the 18th century in December 1773 and again in 1774. A New York newspaper reported that groups of Dutch families had gathered gathered together to honor the anniversary of his death. So this is kind of the first instance of a Christmas day. Okay. They're not celebrating Christmas as we know it, Jesus' birthday, all that stuff. They're celebrating this St. Nicholas, Sinterklaas. I love it. But it's on a day. It's in December. And of course it would be New York because that's where everybody came into. That's right. The name Santa Claus evolved from Nick's Dutch nickname, Sinterklaas, a shortened form of St. Nicholas with a K and two A's. I'm sorry, Sint Nicholas. <laughs> like that lady at church, Sint. Sint, yes. <laughs> Maybe she's Dutch. Sint Paul. Now, Yeah, now we know. Maybe she's Dutch. Maybe. I don't think so, though. I think she's pretty Italian. In 1804, John Pintard, a member of the New York Historical Society, distributed woodcuts of St. Nicholas at the society's annual meeting. So now we have kind of a picture in a visualization of this St. Nicholas that lived so long ago. Okay. And in those woodcuts was the traditional scene of like stockings and toys in the background. And that's thus Santa Claus as we know him today is born. Amazing. Right? That's amazing. And it makes sense. This wasn't like fake news, like he's creating this picture. This guy was going around doing good things for people. It. You know, why wouldn't he have yeah, a bunch I mean, of toys? Yeah, I mean, it started back in Turkey when everybody was celebrating him. It spread to, as people migrated to different areas of the world, and it just continues. It's like folktales, right? Right, yeah. As his prominence grew, Sinterklaas was described as everything from a rascal with a blue three-cornered hat, a red waistcoat, a yellow stockings to a man wearing a broad-brimmed hat, and a huge pair of Flemish trunk hose. So there's been... Many iterations of him. I'm sure you've seen. Have you seen the pictures of him or paintings of him wearing like a blue velvet coat? I have seen that, but I always thought that was Father Christmas. Well, that's just another. So I another, thought that was like the UK version of Santa. Hence why this is the world's the biggest conspiracy. Area 51, psh, Kennedy. Psh. <laughs> Which Santa is the real Santa? Right. And, and is he even real? That's the question everybody Absolutely. has. There's a whole sect of people out there that demand that he's not real and i say fi on all of that agreed because of all this look at this history agreed this goes back to the beginning of time almost so i heard that our version of santa claus here in the u.s was because of coca-cola am i correct on that that is one of the myths out there i don't think that's absolutely correct 100 percent. how we got that okay i think it's more well not more of but listen to this okay Shopping mall Santas. Shopping mall Santas. You may think that's more of a recent thing. Nay. <gasps> it's not? It goes back to the 1820s. Wow. Right? Jeez. <laughs> Who knew they even had malls in 1820? Well. I didn't. Well, I figured it was more like a bazaar or whatever. Mall, yeah. No, when it, but I think mall actually is from the, you know, like they call the National Mall. Yeah, just a It's open just a walking area. place. Yeah, like a park or something. So I don't yeah. think it's what we've made it today, but... So back then, gift giving mainly centered around children. I'd say that's still true today for the most part. Yeah, agreed. And it has been an an important part of the Christmas celebration since the holidays rejuvenation in the early 19th century. Stores began to advertise Christmas shopping in 1820. And by the 1840s, newspapers were creating separate sections for holiday advertisements, which often featured images of the newly popular Santa Claus. So I don't think Coca-Cola was around then, right? 
How long has Coca-Cola been around? I don't know, but I thought this version came like in the 1950s. Yeah. I will look that up while you speak. In 1841, thousands of children visited a Philadelphia shop to see a life-size Santa Claus model. It was only a matter of time before stores began to attract children and their parents with the lure of a peek at a live Santa Claus. In the early 1890s, the Salvation Army, we've all seen that ringing the bell out there, needed money to pay for free Christmas meals they provided to needy families. They began dressing up unemployed men in Santa Claus suits and sending them into the streets of New York to solicit donations. Hmm. Still around today. So the Coca-Cola Santa is from 1931. Okay, so this, I mean, I don't have any pictures of what this 1840s mall Santa looked like, but I would imagine, based on what I mean, that's hundred years later, like, <laughs> right? And what Sinterklaas looked like, you know, with the woodcuts and all that. I, I assume, I think you're right. The modern image of the rosy cheeks and everything came from from Coca Cola, but Santa Claus been around for much longer than that. Yeah. Perhaps the most iconic department store, Santa, is Kris Kringle in the 1947 classic Santa Claus movie. Miracle on 34th Street? Yes. Well done. Thank you. (laughs) I love that movie. It's so good. That was 1947? Yeah, right? Wow. Yeah. All right. So the other iteration of Santa Claus and what has really sprung huge popularity in 1822, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Right. Because it describes it, right? Yes. Clement Clark Moore, an Episcopal, Episcopal, see, I have the disease You do it too. too. I know. I pass it to you. Sorry. Minister wrote a long Christmas poem for his three daughters entitled An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, a.k.a. Twas the Night Before Christmas. That's the uh, political correct version we said on our other show, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Moore's poem, which was which he was initially hesitant to publish due to the frivolous nature of the subject, is largely responsible for our modern image because, like you said, he was described as a jolly old elf and all these things so that maybe that helped coca-cola come up with their their version of santa. yeah doesn't he say know. his cheeks were rosy his nose like a cherry or something like it that says, santa claus is a right jolly old elf with a portly figure and the supernatural ability to ascend a chimney with a mere nod of his head although some of moore's imagery was probably borrowed from other sources his poem helped popularize the now familiar image of santa claus who flew from house to house on Christmas Eve in a miniature sleigh. Always makes me think of the Santa Claus movie where he has the A Rose Such a Ladder company. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> My favorite part of that movie is how he just starts getting fatter and fatter and he can't do it in the bathroom. <laughs> like, oh! every guy in his 40s does that every morning. Like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll skip Santa Claus around the world because that's kind of what we just talked about a little bit. And on our other podcast, we talked about Krampus. There's all these... Scary Krampus. Geez. All these Christmas... Uh, what would you call it? Folklore, I guess? That yeah. That centers around different Santa Claus images, stories, tales, right. all these things, Agreed. right? Yes. But the most popular, you'd say, is Christmas traditions in, in the United States. That's what we know the best, obviously, being Americans. Santa Claus is often depicted as flying from home to home on Christmas Eve to deliver toys to children. He flies on his magic sleigh led by his reindeer... Dasher, Dancer, All the Friends, and of course, Rudolph, right? Wait, I have to stop you for a minute. Donner or Donder? Well, I have the words in front of me and it says Donner. Okay. Are, are, you, in, are you in Team I'm, Donder? I'm Team Donder. What the fuck's a Donder? I think that's from Twas the Night Before Christmas. I think he says on Donder and Blitzen. Hmm. 
is that like that is that like old timey English? Because here it says Donner. Know. I've always I been know. Donner. I know. I've yeah. always I've always thought it was Donner. Who knew? Let's find out. Santa enters each home through the chimney, which is why empty Christmas stockings once um, empty socks, now often dedicated stockings made for the occasion, are hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there, as Clark Moore wrote in his famous poem. Stockings can be filled with candy canes and other treats or small toys. What is it? What, how say so, you? Justin, breaking news on the Donner. Donner and Blitzen are supposed to be thunder and lightning. Okay. And in our language, we would say Donner and Blitzen. In Dutch, which is where it came from, mm-hmm. it yeah. would be spelled Donder and Blixem. Okay. Well, there you go. The freaky deaky Dutch strike again. Yeah. So you're still team Donder, even though you're not Dutch? Well, yeah, because that's where it came from, man. Well, then you better start saying Donder and Blixten. Blixten. Blixem. <laughs> Santa and his wife, Mrs. Claus, call the North Pole home and children write letters to them and track Santa's progress around the world like I just spoke about through nifty little things like NORAD and all these other programs out there available on your local Google. Children leave cookies and milk for Santa, carrots for his reindeer, all the things. I don't need to tell you about that. And he keeps a naughty list and a nice list, right? Yes. Luckily, we only get coal here in the U.S., we don't li- get put in a sack and beaten, <laughs> yes, or taken Austria. down a fiery hole. Yeah, the lists are immortalized, of course, in the 1934 Christmas song "Santa Claus is Coming to Town." He's making a list and checking it twice. Yeah, <laughs> gonna find out who's naughty or nice or and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He slees you. Slees you. He slees you. <laughs> he I think that's you. my stories. <laughs> he slays you <laughs> when you're sleeping. Yeah, well, maybe. Hey, he might be onto something he here. Knows when you're awake. Killer Santa coming Ew. to theaters in 2022. Yikes. So anyway, that that's Santa, right? All these different yeah. versions of Santa. Keep it quick and light. I am here to debunk that based on the history, Santa's legit. Totally he goes back real, to the man. third century. All this mumbo jumbo that it's, oh, it's your parents or it's fake or whatever. Fake effing news. Mm-hmm. Santa's real. And at the end of the day, for those naysayers, it's what you really believe in your heart. And if you believe that Santa's not real, you need some help. Yeah. I mean, they probably need help anyway if they're listening to this show about murder and death and everything else. And then Santa. And then Santa. But I'm just saying, like, it's just kind of like religion and everything else. It's what you believe. Right. And why wouldn't you want to believe in Santa? Listen to what an incredible, wonderful man St. Nicholas was. I love it. So that's what I got for everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Yes. Thanks for ending on a happy note. It's only a couple days away. We'll get through the rest of this one and move on to brighter things. Moving on. All right. Well, if you would like any more information or images from these stories, please follow us on social media at How Did We Miss That? And if you'd like to know more about our theme music, please check out AudioAnywhereProductions.com. That's where we got it from. They're awesome. Go check it out. Until next week, keep your head up and look out for each other. (laughs) 